This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am excited to be joined by special guest Matt Harmon. Matt, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I think this is either year five or year six. We've had you on at least <laughs> once a year. Yeah, man, it's always great to stop by and talk to you and and go back and forth about players because I know you really dive deep into these guys, especially the younger players when they're coming into the NFL, uh, hence the name of the show. Um, so I, I really love to get your feedback on these guys. I love to chop it up with you, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it tonight. And we've got a great like lineup of guys to talk about. I mean, we, we just talked about this on our show recently. These last few draft classes, like trying to put them together it's it's tough because it's just a great group of players. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, listen, we're always going to have some guys that disappoint and let us down, but it feels like the influx of young wide receivers has just been, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago we were looking at like Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson and that and Corey Coleman in that draft class just yeah. flaming out, right? And then even the right. Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross, you know, for reading the top 10, none of them living up to expectations. And we've had some misses here or there, Nikhil Harry. But I mean, over the last couple of years, the influx of, of these young wide receivers and how quickly they're adapting to the game, I think speaks volumes yeah. on m- more of the college scheme going to the NFL and coaches understanding to put these guys in a situation to be successful. Like I know I had some reservations about a guy like DK Metcalf, but he got to the NFL. They asked him to run the routes he was comfortable with and then started expanding it. And I feel like NFL coaches, coordinators are starting to understand that part of it. And that's Mm -hmm. why we've just seen so many guys make the transition, you know, hence the name from Saturday to Sunday so easily and, and be so dominant. And, and I always love having you on. I know you put these guys through reception perception. You have such a unique take on these guys and trying to isolate them. So it's always fun to kind of pick your brain a little bit. So we're definitely going to talk about some second year guys and, and some of that will be blended in with the rookies, but let's start at the top with the rookies. Jamar Chase and the two Alabama guys, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. From when you studied these guys, put them through reception, perception, were these guys all guys that you thought were upper echelon collegiate prospects? Was there a big gap between Jamar Chase and the others? Just kind of maybe a little overview on on the top of the rookie class here at the wide receivers with those three guys that obviously went in the top ten. Yeah, and I think – what your original point there was about like these last few classes as a whole is so key because I get asked this all the time. It's like, why are wide receivers seemingly transitioning to the league so much easier um, and really getting rolling? And I really think it's it's less so that like college teams are you know producing more pro ready guys than it is that NFL teams are just meeting college players and ha- college offense is halfway. You know, I think that you're just seeing so much more progressive concepts in the NFL. And and I think for guys that even are coming in this, this, uh, th- this year, it- it's, it's key as well. Um, and we can go down the board as well, but yeah, starting up at the top, like Jamar chase to me was, he was tough. I w- I'm really interested to hear like what your player comparison was for him because it was a tough one to find for me because, um, you know, I think he's just so good and rock solid at everything. You know, obviously, I think his best trait is as a downfield ball winner. And when you look at reception perception, you look at the route chart there. Um, his best routes are all those vertical patterns. You know, the out route, the 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 comeback, the uh, the deep nine route the post route the corner route everything like that those were his best patterns no surprise there he's a great downfield receiver uh but really underrated i think after the catch like he'll sneak up on people when he's in the open field almost in a way like early career larry fitzgerald would you know when he was making all of those plays with the cardinals back in the day in that in that great postseason run that was kind of who jamar chase reminded me of as an after the catch prospect so I just think he checked every box. And I know there's the camp reports right now. Like, he's not getting very much separation. Well, I I think, number one, I don't know that I'm trusting, like, anybody's observation is, like, who's consistently separating on a route-by-route basis? Like, we want to see them doing, you know, watching from the sideline. Like, watching a practice from the sideline. I I don't know if I really put much stock into that as it is. But in reception perception, too, like, yeah, sure, he was not – 
a Jalen Waddle or a Devonta Smith or even an Elijah Moore level separator, but he was still one of the top six players charted in the class, you know, at 73.2% success rate. Like he was still pretty well up there. I really like him as an overall just rock solid guy that is going to be an immediate upgrade for the Bengals as a, as a vertical player. And that was really where they were weak last year. So I think he checks those boxes. And obviously when it comes to the two Alabama guys, you know, for Devonte Smith, he's probably the most controversial one, I guess, because of the size, but you know, in college, it never limited him in terms of his size. He had the best success rate versus press coverage in the class this year in reception perception, 78, 78.9% success rate on press he was really good at releasing I think he was really good at playing especially the physical game at the catch point I am confident at some point the last few years Paul that we have talked about Calvin Ridley and just the fact that he was just too good of a technician too good of a separator too good of a route runner to fail in the NFL despite some of the questions in his profile obviously Smith is a more dramatic example because he is uh, he is clearly, uh, you know, a smaller player, a totally different profile than a Calvin Ridley, who also had some of the athletic question marks and the size question marks. But still, I think he is in that same regard as as too good of a separator, too good of a route runner, to f- totally bomb out at the NFL level. Like maybe it limits his upside, but it hasn't really limited Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley hasn't had limited upside at this point. And also, I think that Smith plays more physical after the catch and in contested situations than Ridley did as a prospect. So I've got pretty good confidence in terms of him translating to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, so much great information there you unpacked. And, and you asked me, in terms of Jamar Chase, when I was kind of profiling him here at Saturday to Sunday, everything you said in terms of rock solid across the board, it was almost, when I wrote his profile, it was very hard to find a weakness or a concern. Like, yeah. Because it was like mm-hmm. you went through and he checked and he checked and he checked. And where I ended up landing, and I it wasn't like a – perfect comp but I said I thought he had a little bit more speed and after the catch ability than DeAndre Hopkins but I thought there was some similarities because DeAndre Hopkins his bread and butter is winning vertically at the catch point body control adjustments and Chase just was so good at that at the college level I think he's got a little bit more juice than DeAndre Hopkins and straight speed and stuff like that Uh, so that was the kind of guy that I landed on uh, for him and you know, I'm interested, and, and I'll go. I'll, I'll kind of pivot back to the Alabama guys in one second. But since we're talking Jamar Chase, we're talking about the Bengals. Why don't we bring in a second-year player here in T. Higgins? Kind of, how do you see that dynamic? I think T. Higgins surprised a lot of people last year. It seemed like last year, leading up to the draft, in the fantasy in the draft Twitter community, it seemed like people had their reservations on T Higgins. And I don't know if it was just some stereotyping of a bigger guy and, and people were having scary thoughts and nightmares of Nikhil Harry or Laquan Treadwell. I was, (laughs) I was a T Higgins guy and I, you know, and I wasn't a Nikhil Harry guy, but I was a T Higgins guy. And I thought he showed enough in big moments against good defenders that I thought he had enough late separation. I don't think he's a guy right. who's going to blow anybody, you know, off the line of scrimmage or create massive separation, but I thought he had enough late separation to give him enough space to let his ability at the catch point be successful at the next level. And he even honestly, I thought he was going to come along very slowly his rookie year. Mm-hmm. And he actually surprised me with how quickly he was able to be successful Kind of, how do you see T. Higgins? How did he check out when you when you looked at his rookie season? And how do you see that dynamic with him and Chase? And then, obviously, a pretty good slot guy. I think on his last year of his contract, in Tyler Boyd inside. Yeah, I really like their dynamic together, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, because I'm with you that I thought T. Higgins definitely had NFL potential. Definitely could have been, you know, a really good long term starter. But he absolutely outkicked those expectations. And I think the biggest thing is, I thought he was like a classic throwback number two, like possession receiver. Like, you know, I've got the Panthers clock here behind me. He kind of like reminded me of like maybe a Moose and Muhammad like back in his day. You know, like always a just a rock solid number two guy across from my dynamic player in a uh, Steve Smith, obviously back in the day, but. 
really, to me, he was much more impressive than that. And I think the biggest thing in his reception perception profile that impressed me was his success rate versus press, which was pretty high. I think that was the most impressive part of his profile overall, but also his ability to win on vertical routes too, to get that late separation, as you said. Um, and I don't think that he was necessarily always maximized as a vertical player in his rookie year because you know, this is kind of a conversation we can have with Chase and Higgins together. There was no more inefficient pass last year than Joe Burrow to AJ Green on deep passes. <laughs> you know, that it was like Burrow was the stone worst deep passer in the NFL before he got hurt. And how much of that is AJ Green is dust? And how much of that is Joe Burrow's just not the best vertical passer in the world. You know what I mean? Like he definitely doesn't have the best arm in the NFL. I think it's probably the he's he's got much better strengths than his arm strength, if that makes sense. So I like it. I like T. Higgins' ability to separate down the field a lot, though. I think he's like a perfect class. He's like a perfect number two receiver. I don't know that he has the alpha traits you're looking for, but Chase does have those. And I love your comparison to DeAndre Hopkins as well, because Hopkins is not the biggest guy. And Hopkins kind of gets profiled as a jump ball receiver because we see him win those incredible contested catches. And same thing with Jamar Chase, too, coming into the NFL. But I think both those guys are above average separators, and he, he, especially the last few years, Hopkins has checked in as one of the top players in success rate versus man coverage, top players in success rate versus press coverage. Like I think his game is aging really well, and I think you could maybe see something similar for Jamar Chase as he comes into his own as a number one receiver. To you know, you see those jump ball traits, you see some signs of good route running, and as he gets better throughout his career, then he takes those steps to truly being an elite player. Yeah, I mean, and I love how you talked about the dynamic between Chase and Higgins because I do think, as you said, I'm not sure. As much as I liked Higgins, I never got the, you know, the thought that he was going to be on a Julio Jones or, you know, a Calvin Johnson or that elite, elite number one guy. And now, yes, there's a lot of debate of whether or not they should have, you know, taken Penny Sewell and and solidified that O-line. You know, that's going to be a question that's probably going to be talked about a lot, but they gave Burrow his guy. I'm sure he was advocating for him and, you know, they have to fix that line for sure. But if they can, it's going to be interesting to kind of see Burrow Higgins and Chase kind of grow and develop together. And you make a good point about Burrow and and his arm strength is definitely not one of his, you know, top three or four best attributes of his game. But I do think Higgins ability to get that late separation and win vertically Chase being able to win in a variety of ways, it's not like either of them are straight vertical guys. That that that's their only thing that they're good at. So I think they'll probably grow and develop, you know, pretty good together and and, and maximize e- what each person's strengths are. It's gonna be kind of fun to see that, um, you know. And I feel like, you know, some people in the fantasy community, you know, I think sometimes get a little bit concerned when there's two guys there for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, I remember. Right from the hilltop people were so worried about calvin ridley you mentioned them before so you know he's on on my memory yeah people were so worried about calvin ridley <laughs> that year because he was going to atlanta and if anything it kind of set up i mean he might have been good regardless right. but it kind of really set him up to not be the number one guy yeah. for the first couple of years and who knows if that maybe got him more comfortable to reach what now looks to be a really high ceiling you know so sometimes it's, it's okay for these guys not to be the exactly, guy yeah. for right out of the gate uh if we go back to the Alabama guys Jay, you know we talked a little bit about Devonta Smith you know when you were on air last year you know we talked about the mistake then that we thought you know it wasn't it wasn't in hindsight we talked then we thought Philadelphia had made a mistake last year passing yeah, up oh on CD yeah. Lamb Justin Jefferson you know you know and, and those mis- not that they passed uh, up they, yeah. they could have went up and got CD Lamb pretty easily in a trade up similar to what Dallas did but they passed on Justin Jefferson you know, now this year they do get aggressive. They leapfrog the Giants. Obviously, I was live with Christopher Harris when that happened, and it was just like I saw it up on the on the screen at the corner of my eye that Philadelphia was on the clock, and it was it was a gut punch for all Giants fans because we all knew what they were doing at that point. We knew yeah. Devonta Smith mm-hmm. had been you know zeroed in for the Giants for months leading up to the draft. Uh, 
any hope for Rager year two? You talked a little bit about Devonta Smith, so I might as well, before we talk a little bit about Waddle, uh, any hope for, for Rager year two? Obviously last year, what could go wrong did go wrong, the injury in training camp. Uh, but is there anything that an Eagles fan or a, a dynasty owner, you know, of Rager in year two could see a change or you have some serious concerns about it, it's just a bad pick and there might not be any, you know, salvage in it. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised if it's just a bad pick and there's nothing there. Uh, Jalen Rager finished with the 40.8% success rate versus man coverage score last year. That is the second worst ever charted in reception perception history. That's dating back to 2014. The only player who's worse in the database of over like 300 players, Justin Hunter, uh, <laughs> former Tennessee Titan. Great. <laughs> if you remember Justin, not, Hunter. A, not a guy you want to be compared to, not a guy you want to be in the same breath as now. So that's the bad, right? Like, and I think that shows that Jalen Rager was out there, you know, making his own problems too. Like, obviously there was dysfunction in Philadelphia. There was a quarterback issue in Philadelphia. I think they kind of just, threw him out there and like expected him to just win on his own. And he's just not that player. So there was a lot going wrong there, but I think it also shows that he was just, you know, he, he was not running good routes. He was not getting separation. Like he just was just not playing well technically at all. And, you know, you can be a great athlete. And I actually think Jalen Rager, the reason that the Eagles put themselves in that brain pretzel and ended up taking Rager over Justin Jefferson is they looked at it as, He's a speed guy, right? He is going to help our team get faster. And my God, did they really need to get faster? But the only thing they needed really was just somebody to make a year one impact. It was going to come in right away and play like an NFL veteran. And that was who Justin Jefferson is. (laughs) That's why it was so, you know, mind boggling that they pass up on Jefferson for Rager. I think they just, like I said, they overthought it, but Rager is a good athlete. He is a a player who can win with speed. And I think that's the key for them going forward. If they're going to get something out of Jalen Rager, they have to put him in the slot. They have to design some touches for him, get him into open space. I think that's really the way that you would get the best out of him. I would just not want to ask him to be, you know, a full-time starting outside receiver. I think that's setting him up to fail at this point. Yeah, and and Rager was a guy that, while I didn't think he should have been taken ahead of Jefferson or in the same you know small amount of picks as C.D. Lamb, he was a guy that I was intrigued with on his college film because I thought, for a guy on the a little bit on the smaller side, I thought he was pretty good at the catch point, and you know, and then you do wonder sometimes. We've talked about how sometimes guys, NFL coaches, are meeting college, uh, you know the college prospects a little bit more halfway and incorporating things. And then I think sometimes it also goes the other way. Right. And you just talked about it a little bit about, they just kind of put him out there and expected him to be this really technically sound, you know, efficient guy. And he was coming from the big 12. Like he wasn't like playing the SEC. Like Mm -hmm. he was playing defenses that, you know, are wide open. Offenses are wide open. He didn't need to be very technically sound in the, in the big 12 to be successful at TCU. And it's one of those things that it's like, he wasn't asked to really play and, and win how he won at the college level. I'm leaving the light on for him. I'm hoping they can get something out of him, but I, yeah, I don't really love, I don't really love the Jalen Hurts is to me a little bit more see it, throw it type player. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's going to then come into, you better get separation. You better win against man coverage. And as you just said, he seems not, to have not a lot good. Of yeah, not good. He seems not to have good. some technical work to 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 yeah. obviously do that. So then it's do they find a way to get him the ball? And there's a lot of players yeah, in exactly. the NFL who can make an impact by just getting him the ball in space and letting them do their work. And we're going to talk about you know some guys like that in a second that I want to pick your brain on. But that's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, from the Jalen Waddle perspective. He you know. He obviously had the injury late last year. You know, I don't know if that changes anything. Obviously, he didn't hurt his draft stock. You know, look where he went. Uh, you know, but he's a guy that every year I feel like prior to this, I feel like somebody, at least somebody on draft Twitter wants to throw out, this guy is like Tyree Kill. Yeah. And no one has really ever been like Tyree Kill. In terms of college player, the way he 
played at Alabama, it was hard not to see some Tyreek Hill from Kansas City, just like yeah. mm-hmm. that straight sure. explosiveness. So for me, Waddle was the closest college player since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday that I thought warranted some Tyreek Hill comparisons. How do you how do you feel like he might? We were just talking about the technical, you know, issues that Jalen Rager had. Was Waddle someone that when you put him through reception perception, we know he had that vertical speed. And that's what most people remember, right? The 4-2. Right. I remember us having this conversation a couple of years ago with Marquise Brown. And, you know, he hasn't maybe lived up to what we had hoped. But at the same time, yeah. I remember you coming on here saying there was a lot more to Marquise Brown on rece- when you put him through reception perception than just being a straight burner because of that vertical speed, which everyone talked about. Same thing with Waddle. Like, did he show more than just being a guy who can win vertically? Yeah, I think the one thing that you would say that he is very much like Tyree Kill when he when he's like just that stop start and the ability to control his speed. Like that is what like if you're talking about just like a stop and go route or, you know, an up and out or something like that or an out and up, that's like that's where he looks like Tyree Kill to me especially is the way he can stop down, throttle down and then burst again down the field. Like that is very Tyreek Hill-esque but it is tough to compare anybody to Tyreek Hill I mean he's just such a unique player um I really think there's a lot more to Jalen Waddle than just speed especially when he's working as an interior receiver because again you mentioned it kind of a limited sample last year in terms of the games that he played but still he topped all players in success rate versus man coverage from this draft class last year you know even better than teammate Devontae Smith but again Smaller sample, so that's worth adjusting for. I think his biggest weakness is his ability against press coverage, where he was actually quite below the college average in terms of his ability to beat press in limited looks because he didn't see much press coverage as an interior guy. And I think that's really where Miami will get the best out of him is if they line him up as their speed slot receiver. I think he can really do a lot of damage. By the way, Tyreek Hill played over 50% of his snaps in the slot last year. So you know, if you're looking for a deployment plan, it's not a bad place to start. So I really like Jalen Waddle. I think he's a really good prospect, and especially if deployed in the right way as an interior guy who wins with speed, but also is a pretty underrated, I think, route runner, a guy that can definitely win with technique as well. Um, the biggest question for him, if he's going to maximize his upside, is just how much better is he going to get against press on the outside? Yeah, and I, and I think those are, are some some valid questions that he's going to have to answer. And, you know, listen, he's not – you know, at Alabama, you're playing with always a bunch of other elite skill players, right? He played right. with Devonta Smith, you know, the next guy up, John Mechie is going to be another guy we're talking about probably a year from now, you know, so good quarterback play, uh, you know, since, you know, Tua got there. And then, you know, this year, obviously, Mac Jones performed really well at college. So he's had a lot of really high level quarterbacks, you know, with that scheme, with that offensive line. So like doing it as the guy, which Maybe not this year, but Miami's obviously hoping down the line that he becomes that integral part right. you know, of their receiving core. Let's come off at a big three and go to the next guy taken on draft night because I know whether it's the Giants fandom in me, whether it's the overreaction. I feel like I've spent a lot of time over the last couple months talking about Kadarius Tony, And to me, <laughs> yeah, sure. he is a very, very – polarizing player that the draft Twitter and the fantasy Twitter community seems to have written off before he's ever played a down of the NFL. And I don't know if that's just the, over the last couple of years, the hatred towards the giants and Gettleman and Dave Gettleman. Yeah. Yeah. And Daniel Jones was never a big fan of the draft Twitter community. And after year one, maybe people thought they were wrong and now they're back that he's terrible. You know, I guess we'll find out, you know, and Jason Garrett is easy to pick on. So there's like this whole yeah, yeah, host yeah. <laughs> of, of things that have very little to do with Kadarius Tony that already, you know, want people just to dislike him. And then the whole other right. part of it is the analytics community breakout age, market share, that yeah. part of the, the the draft Twitter community was really down on him because it took him a couple of years. He wasn't ever a full-time wide receiver until this, you know, this last year. He kind of was a gadget player. I think he even came in from high school as just an offensive weapon. I think he was classified as yeah. OW. So there's all this stuff. And 
I see in rookie drafts, Amon Ross St. Brown, a fourth round pick going over him. I see fourth round running backs going over him that we just seem to like the hate seems to be so over the top that the NFL. And I remember I'm going to bring in a guy from last year. And this is really why I wanted to go here next. Also, the NFL obviously thought of this guy as a borderline round one pick, right? It wasn't just the Giants. The, we, we hear the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. We heard Green Bay was very interesting. We even heard New Orleans. So there's a bunch of teams that seemed like in yeah. the 20s were in on Kadarius Tony if he was there for the skill set he presented. And I kind of went back a year ago, and nobody in the analytics community and the draft Twitter community really liked Brandon Ayuk. They kind of thought he was a yeah. late breakout age Juco transfer. He didn't really do much when he played with Nikhil Harry. He kind of needed Harry to leave and move on. And people just looked at him as a straight athlete. Now, I think, and I heard you recently you know, with the guys over at Established to Run, Brandon Ayuk, I was a fan of him last year, but I thought he was going to have to play very much like Debo Samuel. Like That was what I yep. thought. Yep. That was what his college film was. And then exactly. he obviously showed so much more. Should a Giants fan, because I know you're going to get into Kadarius Tony did not check out well against press coverage. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Any Giants right. fan who follows you saw the tweets, you know, draft weekend or whatever, and you can get into a little bit more of it here. But to me, Brandon Ayuk is kind of the guy that I, I feel like the fantasy community forgets where we were a year ago with Brandon Ayuk. Yep. And give you, it would give you hope. It would give would, you hope. It would at least say, aren't we going to believe in the athlete? the first round pedigree and the belief that sometimes guys just aren't asked to do certain things at college, but they have it in their skill set. And I'm not saying Kadarius Tony's there yet. I think Brandon, we clearly saw he was more refined than we thought. Kadarius Tony's still learning the position, but I, I do think it's a, it's a, it's a story of maybe we shouldn't be so quick to be burying a guy who multiple teams thought was worthy of a first round pick. He obviously is a, very good to great athlete. So maybe just kind of tie in Kadarius Tony. And then after a little bit of Kadarius Tony talk, I'd love to hear just expand upon Brandon Ayuk and just how much more he showed in the repertoire as a rookie in the NFL. Yeah. So on the Kadarius Tony thing, and to start too, I, I love your, your bit about rookie drafts there too. Cause I, as you'll hear, and if, as you said, if you've seen some of the tweets, I'm not a Kadarius Tony guy, right? Like, I don't, he's not, he's not my type of receiver, right? I, I think I said in his college profile before he got drafted, his next team would be starting from square one, like the ba- the basement in terms of teaching him how to run routes. Like, he just doesn't have that in his arsenal yet. That said, I was in a rookie draft about a week after the draft, and I took freaking Kadarius Tony in the second <laughs> round of that draft. Oh, because I was like, I don't want to take – I like Amon Ross St. Brown and his fit as like potentially a Cooper Cup type of prospect, um, but I don't know if I want to take a fourth-round pick over a first-round pick. You know, <laughs> like I could be wrong. Like the Giants could figure this out. So I took Kadarius Tony even though – plus also like he's going to continue to have value if he doesn't – even if he like kind of flops this year, right? Like he'll still have value as like a first-round pick or something like whatever. Just you don't always have to be married to your evaluations when it comes to rookie drafts too. Sometimes you also do have to think about draft capital and stuff like that. So to your point, I've done that exact same thing. I'm on, I'm on board with that. The thing with Kadarius Tony, like like you mentioned – the stone worst success rate versus press coverage ever charted for a college prospect. Um, I do think his route running is a mess right now. I think he's just, like I said, he's got to completely learn that part of the position. Um, so there are clear issues there. There's a lot of development that needs to be taken. And I think one of the reasons that the the Giants get criticized for the, this pick is like, did you really need to take that on when you had – when you had other needs and you have guys, I think at wide receiver that can play. Like I think Darius Slayton's a pretty good number two receiver. Like he could be that guy. I think Kenny Galladay really completes that unit as a vertical threat. I've always been a big fan of Sterling Shepard. So did you really need to take that pick? I think that's part of the criticism that gets levied too. And I think the biggest thing, as you mentioned, is the Jason Garrett factor for me. That's where I get the most hung up because I actually think like if you go on receptionperception.com, I wrote a rookie superlative article uh, for it's a free article. If you want to do a little try before you buy type of thing, I wrote that 
I gave superlatives out to all of the rookie prospects, and I wrote that Kadarius Tony was the best receiver after the catch in this draft class. Like when you're looking at a player in space, I think he's even better than Rondale Moore in that regard. Like I think he is the most explosive, the best weapon after the catch among these rookie receivers. So there's something there. Like you can put him in a gadget role while he learns the position, and maybe he'll never be one of the best route runners in the NFL. But he can still give you positive plays. And I think you just asked, like, is that really worth the first-round pick? Whatever. That's a separate conversation. But to me, though, I think the difference between when you're looking at Brandon Ayuk and then when you're looking at – by the way, Brandon Ayuk, similar. He would fall into, like, the late second round of rookie drafts last year because people didn't like him. It was, cra- it was crazy, you know? And that obviously turned out to be wrong. And I think the biggest difference, though, is the, uh, Brandon Ayuk goes to – um, and I even think you could say Debo Samuel too, because like he's probably more comparable to a guy like Kadarius Tony, who not a, uh, Debo even at this point is not great against press man coverage, but he beats zone, he gets in the open field, and he makes plays after the catch. Like Kadarius Tony could be that guy, but those two players went to Kyle Shanahan. This guy went to Jason Garrett. That's my now my biggest hang up is I don't know that he ended up in the right spot. Also, not having the best off season at this point, but that's a whole separate conversation as well. So. I think that there's a role for Kadarius Tony to be a player in the NFL that helps your offense. I don't know that he's ever going to be a true starting receiver. I don't know that he's ever going to be a great route runner. Those are big questions at this point. But again, there are positives in his arsenal. On Brandon Ayuk, he was sort of like, Paul, I'm sure you remember this, man, like back in the day. Like three years ago, <laughs> people thought AJ Brown was going to be like a big slot receiver. You know, people thought because that was where he played in college. People compare dared to compare AJ Brown to like Juju Smith Schuster, like he was going to be that type of player. But AJ Brown has been a dominant X receiver in the NFL for two years now, and he was immediately winning in the highest leverage role that a receiver can play. That caught a lot of people by surprise, and I think Brandon Ayuk similarly. Like you said, I thought he'd be like a created touches type of player. He had some downfield route running chops. He had some ability to deceive a cornerback, take him one way, and then burst back the other way. He had those chops even back as a college player, but no way did I see him doing what he did as a rookie, which was unbelievable. Out there as the 49ers' top outside receiver and won at an 88th percentile level against man coverage was awesome separating against press as again, a full-time mostly X receiver for them. He was not some gadget guy. He had an above average success rate on every route, but one last year. Like he, I think now slides into that Stefan Diggs, uh, Terry McLaurin, Calvin Ridley axis of receivers, smaller guys, not the biggest, but can win with route running and explosiveness. And I really think Ayuk is is just headed to superstar territory. That's how high I am on him after his rookie year. So I don't know if Kadarius Tony's gonna do that, but it was pretty exciting that Brandon Ayuk did that. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I, I guess that's been my argument that yeah, you can make the case that Rashad Bateman, even Elijah Moore, if the Giants were looking for just a true pure wide receiver, would have been better picks. They for whatever reason kind of got it in their mindset that they were looking for that versatile offensive whatever weapon. That's I guess what they were targeting. You know, it's the only logic. So it's weird. What's weird What's weird is that like they went for they were they wanted Devonte Smith at that pick. Apparently, they wanted Devonte Smith at that high first round pick, but then they they trade back for Kadarius Tony. It's like the two complete opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. You know that's what's so strange. That did they just were they just like zeroed in on wide receiver? That's what's weird is because you go for a completely different type in Tony. But I think they're, I think the logic with the Tony pick is they're just trying in any way possible to make Daniel Jones' life easy, which is smart. You should do that for your quarterback, right? And like a gadget guy that you can get in space and make plays after the catch is going to make Daniel Jones' life easy. He hasn't really had one of those guys to this point. So I get, I totally get that logic from it that they're really just trying to make this Daniel Jones thing happen. And I think you've got enough reason to be optimistic about that. Yeah. And listen, we'll see. Is Garrett the, the play caller to make it work? I mean, I love the, the analysis that Dan Orlowski brings to ESPN and he was on something uh, maybe like a couple of weeks after the draft or a month after the draft. And he was talking about 
then how much Daniel Jones's life should be easier if you get the ball X amount of times to Saquon Barkley and Kadarius Tony in space. I just don't know if the Giants are the right team that's going to maximize getting, you know, like, yeah, if if Saquon Barkley touches the ball 20 times a game and you find a way to get Kadarius Tony eight to 10 touches, whatever, jet sweeps and the round screens, you know, bubble, whatever, you know, all of a sudden the defense has to account for those two natural playmakers after the, you know, big play after, you know, they get the ball, you know, X amount of times in the game. But is that what the Giants are going to do? We've never seen Jason Garrett run an offense like that. So listen, and my argument was don't not to people who were pushing back against Kadarius Tony is don't not pick him because of Jason Garrett, because I think Joe Judge has already shown the ability to he'll change. And if this year's offense, I think, I don't think Judge is going anywhere yet, but if this offense and this whole team implodes, I think Jones is gone. I think Gettleman's gone. And I think Jason Garrett's gone. And my guess is Judge seems a little bit more modernized in terms of he's bringing a lot of college coaches. I could totally see him dipping into the college ranks for some young up in mind. Um, Joe Brady obviously was this year, but somebody in the college ranks that someone like that. Yeah. Someone Someone like that. I could totally see him going to the college ranks where he's brought so many guys from like that. So like, I was like, don't make a pick based on Jason Garrett. Like he's going to be there for the duration of Kadarius Tony's career. So it's going to be interesting, but, but let's go to the next two guys. Cause these are the guys that I feel like everyone's excited about. And they, one of them would, they've been excited about for years and Rashad Bateman. How do we, because he's a guy that probably tested out, my guess, is really well in reception perception. He's been a darling in the Devi community <laughs> for years and years. But how do we balance that against the Buffalo, I mean, against the Baltimore offense that he's now attached himself to in Lamar Jackson? And then after we talk him, let's go to Elijah Moore, who's been the, the talk of New York here in terms of mm-hmm. what he's been doing in training camps. And he could be another guy that I think we're about to say – there was a lot more in the repertoire than maybe what Ole Miss asked him to do. And he, oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's going to put up Justin Jefferson's stats because that's probably – we can live the rest of our lives and not see that again. But I do think he could be the guy that people pigeonhole Justin Jefferson to be a slot guy. I think we're on the way of maybe – and we were obviously wrong. I think we might be on the way already for doing that with Elijah Moore, and I think he's going to get a chance maybe much sooner than we thought to play outside and push Denzel Mims to the bench. And, and, and play with Jameson Crowder. And I don't think most analysts thought that was going to be the case after draft weekend. Yeah, so starting with Bateman, it's a bummer that he's injured right now because I think this Ravens passing game needs a player like Rashad Bateman. Like This was exactly what I think Baltimore really lacked the last few years for Lamar Jackson. And that's a guy who I actually kind of compare to Justin Jefferson in that Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson range of players and that they're just unbelievable separators. Like you could play these guys inside, like, right. Like Justin Jefferson could have played inside, but he showed in college that he could win. Like if you could project him as an outside receiver, because he was just that good of a route runner. Same with Rashad Bateman, who, as you mentioned, very good in reception perception. And the two routes that he's so good on that I think really are going to help is going to help this passing offense the dig and the curl like Lamar Jackson at this point is just a much better short over the middle intermediate passer even than he is a vertical guy outside the numbers like we've been waiting for Lamar Jackson to develop as a vertical outside the numbers passer and it just hasn't happened like it was the weakest point in his college scouting report it's the weakest in his scouting report in the NFL so for me I think that's the thing He really fits what this offense needs out of its wide receiver position. Like I like Marquise Brown still as a player, um, but he's not a number one receiver. He's not good enough against press coverage. He's not good enough winning full field on the outside. So to me, I think they drop Rashad Bateman in here. And like, we're talking, we're talking exactly again what this offense needs from a fantasy angle. Yeah. It's tough to find the volume situations can definitely change. As you mentioned, like you even kind of had the the Freudian slip there with Buffalo, right? Like we all had, Diggs as like a you know it's it's over for Diggs going to Buffalo but things change you know the way they played I project him to be one of the most run heavy offenses last year the Bills and they were anything but that you know so I don't think the Ravens are suddenly going to take that kind of flip but just saying that that potential of change is there and I think the player Rashad Bateman is just so good so 
that's my kind of analysis on him. It is obviously tough from a fantasy angle to find the volume, but really think he is exactly what Lamar Jackson in this passing game needs to sort of take another step, get back maybe not to the volume level that, that we're hoping for, but get them back to the efficiency that they were at in 2019 when Jackson led the NFL in touchdown rate and with top five in yards per attempt. Now, Elijah Moore, man, I love this guy. He's number two in success rate versus man coverage last year in reception perception among the college prospects. Unbelievably good. And, and as you mentioned, like, I think he can play outside. It's a projection. We have very few reps press coverage, just 6.5% of his routes in reception perception were press coverage, but really good when he got the chance. And again, unbelievable separator against man, unbelievable separator against zone across the route tree. I really compared him to like a Tyler Lockett type of player that you could line Tyler Lockett up outside. I think Lockett's good enough to play outside, but when you throw him inside, then he's just like a vertical weapon. But I also think like Elijah Moore does legit show some Antonio Brown type of stuff in his game. I know other people have made that comparison too, but the way he transitions to break tackles after the catch, it reminds me so much of like early career Antonio Brown. And I think the route running discipline and technique is also there. I just think this guy is going to be a stud. Who knows if the the rest of the Jets offense is going to catch up like Zach Wilson. I, I don't, I, we'll see with that. I, we'll see if it happens in year one, but man, I want to be on the Elijah Moore bandwagon when this thing gets rolling. Yeah, and I and I think Bateman and, and Moore is what makes this draft of what this current draft class such a unique class because right we know Chase Waddle and Smith are were at the top, but there's a there's a a world where Bateman and Elijah Moore are really good. Like, you know, really good. Yeah. You know, Bateman's got so many Keenan Allen vibes to him, you know, when I watch him play and then Elijah Moore, you just kind of laid it out. Like whether it's Tyler Lockett glimpses of Antonio Brown somewhere in the middle, like, you know, like if the top guys hit and then Bateman and and Elijah Moore hit, we're talking about a number. Yeah. We're, you know, and, and that's just, Five guys in the top, what, 33 or 34 picks, wherever Elijah Moore went, second pick or something. You know, and then, you know, obviously we already talked about there is Tony, you know, a little bit of a wait and see in terms of what, how he's deployed. I do want to, we talked about right there for a second, Elijah Moore doing more than what maybe he was asked to do at college. I want to go back to a second year player that I feel like started to show that last year. I feel like when LaVisca Chenault came out, most mm-hmm. people pegged LaVisca Chenault to be very much, and, and myself included, and I said I thought he had more upside to develop into more, but initial role I thought was going to be very in that Debo world in terms of how he was deployed for Jacksonville. I thought he showed a little bit more last year, and then now being attached to Trevor Lawrence, I'm really excited and high on on the upside. He's been one of those guys where if I can get him in Dynasty now, I feel like I want to try to get him because I think a year from now, I think his stock might be significantly higher than where it is. A little bit maybe about LaVisca Chenault in in terms of did he surprise you in terms of how he played and how he checked out in reception perception during his rookie year compared to maybe the preconceived notion of him was. Yeah, I remember during like the aftermath of the draft when old Urban Meyer takes Travis Etienne and then says like, I wish I had taken Kadarius Tony. That was the guy I wanted. So clearly he wanted somebody for this like slasher gadget role. So people legit freaked out about LaVisca like, oh, he's not going to play that role. That's the role we want him to play. It's like, good, forget it. We don't want him playing this like gadget role, getting like 40 rush attempts and, you know, getting six yard passes. Like I want to see him playing a role like Juju Smith-Schuster has played for the Steelers, you know, like a big slot receiver. I know Juju hasn't had a good couple years the last few years, but I think that's, you know, more about Ben falling back last year. But, like, think about what Juju was doing in his first two years as the Steelers' big slot receiver. I think LaVisca Chenault could play that role, like a big slot that wins even more than just like bunny hop passes. Like he shows great on slants and flats in reception perception. You expect that, but also really good on dig routes shows some vertical ability on post. Well, like I think if you get him in the slot, he will really be a strong player for the Jaguars. And right now he profiles definitely as their best slot receiver, you know, Marvin Jones, DJ Chark, those are outside guys always have been, should probably continue to be. I would love LaVisca playing that type of role. And I think like, He's great after the catch. He's unbelievable. He's just so physical, and he's really good in the contested area too. So 
I think there's a chance he could just slide into that role, or he could be like a guy like DJ Moore, who was sort of a gadget guy his rookie year, wasn't a great route runner to start with, took some developmental steps, and then was a pretty good outside receiver in his second year because he was really great on 50-50 balls. Still wasn't – he was a like an average level separator. And then this past year took that next leap to – even though he didn't have the fantasy season that some wanted, he took that next step of like winning on vertical routes, winning against press coverage on the outside. Like maybe LaVisca could be that type of guy, but at worst I think you're getting a really good quality big slot. Yeah, and you know, I know you are uh... – somewhat regular from time to time with Christopher Harris and, and, and Chris always says like a crutch argument, right? You could take any side of it. The day that they, they drafted Travis Ethian and talked about wanting Kadarius Tony, one side of the argument was, Oh, this is terrible for LaVisca, right? They're going to replace him. He can't do that role where the, the side I took it as was they don't want him doing that role. You can now look at him as maybe they exactly. have more confidence in him than any of their other wide receivers. So, you know, I thought that was an interesting perspective Final two questions of the night. Is there any other rookie receivers, if there's one or two guys from beyond the guys we talked about that you want to make a quick mention of? And is there one other second-year guy that surprised you when you put him for reception perception and you think could be on the verge of a little bit of a breakthrough this year or maybe take the next step? Yeah, I really do think that the guy to watch in terms of rookie receivers is Amon Ra St. Brown. Not because I think he's the best separator, but I think he profiles, and I said this as a, even before he got drafted, you could go check the date published on his profile on receptionperception.com. I said he'd be perfect in a Cooper Cup type of role. Like, as a guy, because I think he has great hands. I think he's got really good chops and contested situations and knows how to sift through some zone coverage. I think that's exactly what Cooper Cup is for the Rams. And then he gets drafted later by the Lions, um, who obviously their general manager has ties to the Rams. They have the old Rams quarterback in Jared Goff. So he's definitely somebody from a fantasy perspective, too. I would watch out for maybe even this year. He's already getting some buzz out of training camp. And, you know, they have a weak depth chart. He could play a role there, especially if he's going to have those layup routes out of the slot against zone coverage. Um I would definitely keep an eye out on him. And then in terms of second year players, such it's such a good class. It was such a fun class to go back and review. But I think the guy I definitely want to keep tabs on, and it's tough right now. Obviously, Carson Wentz is an injury question mark. Maybe he's going to get back for week one. But Michael Pittman showed out pretty well in reception perception as a rookie. Pretty solid success rate versus man coverage, over 70%. If you're over 70%, I'm going to keep my eye on you to like potentially be a breakout player. I think he just fits better with the vertically inclined passer, you know, and we'll see about Wentz. Like I think the fact that Wentz might stink is already baked into Michael uh, Michael Pittman's ADP at this point. So it's it's not too big of a concern, but just for his long-term production, I think he was like kind of an antithetical fit with Philip Rivers last year. Over 40% of Michael Pittman's routes last year were either a slant or a dig route. Those are Philip Rivers-based routes, but I think Pittman can be more than that. I think Pittman can be a vertical guy, that ex-receiver type, maybe in the Kenny Galladay mold um, as he continues to develop. So he's kind of that second-year player that uh, I think you you look at maybe in the later rounds this year. Yeah, and, and Pittman I think is a great call because he was a guy that – I think he's got more athleticism to his game than I think people while following him in college gave him credit for. And then he kind of like tested yeah. out pretty well before. And I think people were like, wow, he's, he's a little bit more athletic. He's not just that slow plotter that has to win at the catch point. And I think we, I think if you followed him closely, I think people knew that, that there was a little bit more surprise athletic ability there. And I think he showed some signs of that. I'm excited to kind of see him maybe put it together. He seems like a guy kind of like we talked about at the top of the show that, at some point, Indianapolis is probably going to look for that number one type guy. And Pittman could maybe be that guy that kind of like you, we were talking about Higgins at the top of the show. I think in a mm-hmm. perfect scenario, Pittman might be that guy that profiles best as like a number two to somebody else. But obviously not everybody could have a Jamar Chase or a true number one, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I think right. in, I think in a perfect world, the coach would love Michael Pittman to emerge, but maybe be the second guy to a 
to be determined down the line, you know, maybe somebody else, you know, at, at the top. But I do think he's an interesting call. I mean, it just shows you the depth of the second year class, right? We didn't even really get into Justin Jefferson, you know, uh, Chase Claypool. CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb, who I think is going to be phenomenal this year. If there's people out there, last question. Should should we – we talked about leaving the light on for Jalen Rager, maybe. Should the light be left on for Henry Ruggs? What do we think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Ruggs could really be a, a solid vertical receiver. I've always said like his uh, reception perception profile last year sort of looked like a Brandon Cook's light type of player. And I mean like light type of player. So let's be let's be clear about that. Like Cooks has been a really good player. So we'll see. Like maybe Henry Ruggs could be that type of guy. But um, I don't think he'll ever be a number one receiver. No, I, I, but I think they can utilize him better than they did last year. It just looked like they didn't really have a plan for him last year. They like wanted to be – a decoy guy. It's like, why do you spend such high draft capital on a, on a decoy guy? But yeah, yeah. I, I'm not like totally all out on Henry Ruggs. I do think it was a mistake to draft him over that litany of other guys there. Jerry, Judy, CD lamb, Justin Jefferson. I would have even taken ahead of Henry Ruggs, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that he's ever going to be a number one guy, but I, I think he could be a useful player for the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, it does make you wonder sometimes, you know, like obviously the NFL teams are privy to way more information than, than we get in any capacity, but sometimes you would love to hear, you know, some serious explanations, right? Like what yeah. was, what was, what were the Raiders thinking last year? What was, right. you know, Philadelphia especially thinking last year? Like, especially <laughs> when it just looks like they didn't have a plan for rugs. Like if you're going to make that bold of a move, have a plan. Yeah. That's all we ask. Have a plan. And, you know, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more openness in terms of like talking post-draft. Like I would have, you know, we've talked about him, but I would have loved to, you know, hear an explanation from the Giants. Why was Kadarius Tony your guy over Elijah Moore or Shad Bateman? Were you looking for something, you know, were you looking for that after the catch, right? You talked about Tony might be the best after the catch guy. Is that what you were looking for? Like I, we would love sometimes to get answers. Were the Raiders looking for the best vertical receiver? And that's why they passed on these other guys. We never really get privy to those real answers we're just privy to like thinking wow this could have been a major mistake and if we're thinking that early that's not the best sign now sometimes we're wrong but sometimes we're not wrong in terms of saying that was a mistake yeah you know right away and i think last year with you know with rugs you know somewhat and then brager definitely we're starting to see that you know come to fruition a little bit so matt Thank you, for, as always, for hopping on the show with me. I look forward every year talking uh, wide receivers with you. Please, I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but please let them know uh, where to follow you, what you're working on, uh, you know, how they can get all your reception perception information, and anything else you want to share. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And uh, receptionperception.com is the home for all things reception perception. We just published the master plan this year, which is a new feature, basically just every piece of information on RP that I've collected this past year is in the master plan. My tiered rankings, wide receivers sorted by tiers, the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty exciting uh, website over there that I think people will really like. So I hope everyone goes and checks it out. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you get over there. So much great content. We just got a few snippets tonight in terms of what everything that, that reception, perception, and everything else uh, he does and covers. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.